and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Color Out of Space. Hello and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host, my counterpart, my friend Julio Oliveira, and our never-ending quest of the contrary here today as the patron takeover continues to discuss uh, recent offering in the filmography of one Nicolas Cage and uh, Richard Stanley making his directorial debut here on The Contrarians. Have you seen anything else from Richard Stanley, Julio? No. First time I've heard of him. And then I was going through the quotes. I'm like, this guy seems to have a, a Terrence Malick reputation where I was saying, he's back. He's <laughs> back with Colorado Space, baby. In going through his filmography, the only one I had any real knowledge uh prior knowledge of was he wrote um the island of dr moreau the john frankenheimer with marlon brando uh, i've never seen that movie but i just know that it exists i've seen chunks of it it's not a good calling card let me tell you <laughs> uh so we'll get into why we're discussing color out of space 2019 american science fiction lovecraftian horror <laughs> as it's described on its Wikipedia page. We'll get into why we're talking about it in just a moment, but we'll go ahead and welcome any and all new listeners and uh, ask our returning listeners to give us a moment here while we explain what it is we do, uh, just to bring anybody up to speed that needs to be. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, often accompanied with that beautiful IP, that trademarked logo of Certified Fresh, a claim that some movies love to boast. And what we'll do with those films is bring them down to size, find some of the troubles or just downright not good areas of these movies, be it poor direction, questionable storytelling choice, pacing, soundtrack, bad acting, whatever we feel the critics at large kind of ignored or just swept under the rug. We'll bring it to the forefront and make sure that the, that you know those movies may not be all they're, they're hyped up to be. Conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. We usually shoot for about 30% and below. And as you could guess, we'll discuss that film's positive merit. We'll talk about why it's not a nasty green splotch. It's not a, a rotted tomato. That it's, uh, you know, it's bruised, but it deserves a little love. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> be it through bold storytelling, soundtrack score, you know, underrated acting, good cinematography. We'll find what we need to find to make a case for the movie we're discussing. Uh, we do this 
the mission statement is kind of for two reasons. One, you can be as over the moon about something or as cynical about something as you want to be. You know, art is subjective and all that. Uh, but if you really have your mind to it, you can you can find a reason to love or hate anything. And two, Julio and myself have always thought that uh, the Rotten Tomatoes system is a bit flawed and doesn't necessarily always tell the whole story about the movie that is assigned a rating. The, that numeric rating, it's pretty hard to grade a movie on a scale of 1 to 100. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into it than just A, B, C, D, F. Uh, being that, Color Out of Space is 86% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's up there. And uh, this first half, we'll be cutting this bad boy down to size. We will be the light, and we will be... The color. I don't know. <laughs> uh, melting the movie with radiation or whatever the fuck happens in this. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, but that all comprises the first half of each episode that we do. We call the first half Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, in this case, Color Out of Space, they just have to stick around for part two, the second half. That is correct. The second half of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel about the movie. We don't worry about the Run Tomato score anymore. This is just about how we experience the movie many times for the very first time. That's the case of Colorado Space. Uh, we are Richard Stanley virgins, as we just admitted in the in the intro. So what was it like watching this? What was our journey like? Did we like it? Did we not like it? Uh, was it hard to be a contrarian about it? Well, you'll find out on the second half, along with the opinion of the patron that demanded we cover this movie. That's how it works, all in real talk. But first, because Colorado Space is certified fresh, not just fresh, but certified fresh. There you go. We're going to be uh, pretty negative about it in Contrarian's Corner. So let's get to it. Who brought this to us? Who who plopped down their hard-earned cash to become a patron and thus was given the ability to demand that we cover a film and they chose Colorado Space? Who, who put this on our desk, Julio? This is coming courtesy of Jordan Manns, who who has thrown us for a loop more than once. Here on the main feed, uh, we close the year 2022 with a Jordan Manns pick. You may remember Kin. Oh, (laughs) yes. A movie that was not at all like Colorado Space. No. Could Kin have used a little Nicolas Cage to spice things up? That might have made it a little more palatable. Cage instead of Dennis Quaid. Well, I mean, Dennis Quaid's not really in that movie. <laughs> Cage is one of the the aliens or the people from another dimension that are traveling around. Oh Kim. yeah, he's Michael B. Jordan. He takes his role in the end. He takes the helmet off. He's like, oh god, you got to get out of here. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you haven't uh, seen Ken, why not? It's out there. You already watch Colorado Space, I'm assuming. So this this would be a palate cleanser. So, Jordan Mance has brought us 2019's Color Out of Space. I've said the name of this movie about 50 times already. It's, it's a fun one. It rolls off the tongue. Premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 7th of 2019. Unfortunately, had a release date of January 24th, 2020, so didn't really get much room to do too much at the box office. Uh, we'll discuss its budget and return come the second half. Uh, but, Julio, let's just get to it. 86% critics. What were they? What have they? What What are the, the logged quotes that we have here today? Lots of fresh tomatoes, over 200 reviews on the Rotten Tomatoes website. So grab the handful, starting with uh, Mary Beth McAndrews from Daily Grindhouse, who says, Colorado Space holds nothing back. 
Stanley enthusiastically dives into his source material to create a dazzling technicolor nightmare, complete with deranged alpacas. You familiar with alpacas, Alex? Yeah. You are? Like, like how familiar? Because you've seen photos? I've probably seen some in, like, IRL. What? Uh, Where? How? The the entire time I was watching this movie, I'm like, alpacas are not native to the United States, are they? I come from uh, the country that alpacas are from. (laughs) That's what I'm asking. So, are they just, like, deer to y'all? You just see them on the road? I mean, not in the city. Like, not in, like, Lima. But if you travel to the villages, you know, you go to Cusco or whatever, there's, like, llamas, there's alpacas. Uh, yeah, there's alpacas at uh, zoos across the country. Okay, but they, they were, like, flown from <laughs> Latin America. Well, yeah. that I, I'm not saying, like, I walk outside and they're roaming the streets, but I, I've <laughs> seen one before. And uh, there's some line, I think it's in one of the Austin Powers movies, where someone says, alpaca your bags, because they don't stop talking about alpacas. And <laughs> that always comes to mind. Okay, well, being familiar with terrible alpaca puns is not the same as being familiar with alpacas. I am familiar with the animal of the alpaca. They spit, right? Well, llamas, I know llamas spit. Llamas yeah. spit. Don't... Alpacas, I think they're a little more civilized. Okay. I did not know you could milk them. Yeah, I, I, I think you can milk them and you can probably eat them, but I don't know that I, I would be able to. Have you ever had alpaca milk? I might have, and I just didn't know about it. Some wild nights in Peru sometimes. Fair enough. Next, Emma Wolf from Spooky Astronauts says, If you're a Nicolas Cage fan and you have a friend that's a Nicolas Cage fan, this is a perfect film to go see together. It is a wild trip. You can go on a cage date. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is obviously unhinged in parts of this, but it takes a long time to get there, and it's not like he doesn't really get to be that until the last act, so that's kind of misleading. Yeah, I think that there are better Nicolas Cage outings if you're going on a cage date. You know, you're a Nicolas Cage fan. Snake eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that'll be a little hard to find playing. Oh, touche. You know, I mean, I guess if the Alamo Draft House is having a cage marathon or something, then that that's where you take your, your friend that's a Nicolas Cage fan. Next, Gillen Martinez Oya from Cinematismo says, a Lovecraftian audiovisual work where the real horror and terror is to overthrow the anthropocentrism that we all have internalized. Dude, fuck off. (laughs) This guy really thought about it. Yeah. He internalized something. Lovecraftian horror, sometimes used interchangeably with cosmic horror, is a subgenre of the horror fiction and weird fiction that emphasizes the horror of the unknowable and incomprehensible more than gore or other elements of shock. Okay. Okay, but what about anthropocentrism? (laughs) He's just making things up at this point. Yeah. Uh, All right, we're going to close with Carla Hay from Culture Mix, who says, Crazy Nicolas Cage, crazy Tommy Chong, and crazy bloody chaos. What more could you want in a horror film? Is that that it? Is that that all you need, Alex? These are your people. some discipline in filmmaking. <laughs> a story that moves. Yes. Uh, something that I haven't seen a million times before. <laughs> but this one has pretty colors, Alex. Maybe you've never it seen does. it this colorful. It does have a pretty purple pink shade. And to shed some more light on Lovecraftian here, it's the uh, 
phrase is named after American author H.P. Lovecraft, whose name you probably saw when you were watching this because this is a short story he wrote. So The Color Out of Space is an H.P. Lovecraft short story that was adapted for the big screen by Richard Stanley and Scarlet Amorous. Do you think it takes less time to read the short story than it does to watch the movie? I would guarantee, yes. <laughs> Three pages. <laughs> it's published in September of 1927 in Amazing Stories. God Another bless. Lovecraft. Just cranking it out, just trying to make a living. In his wildest dreams, he never imagined that it was going to be turned into this special effects extravaganza starring Nicolas Cage and Tommy Chong. West of Arkham, the hills rise wild. There are valleys with deep woods and no axe is ever cut. There are dark, narrow glens where the trees slope fantastically. Where thin brooklets trickle without ever having caught the glimpse of sunlight. Don't you imagine? I mean, I kind of want to read the story now because the dialogue, the voiceover that opens and closes the movie is unlike the dialogue that's spoken throughout. So my assumption is that is the dialogue or like the the text from the short story. Wouldn't that make sense to you? Yes, that's what I thought, too. I mean, that's what I thought as the movie started and then completely forgot about that voiceover because it never came back <laughs> until the yeah. very end. No, like, oh, that's right. It's like an incomprehensible Ultimate Warrior promo. Uh, (laughs) In the wake of his wife Teresa's mastectomy, Nathan Gardner moves his family, including children Lavinia, Benny, and Jack, to his late father's farm. One night, a brilliantly colored meteorite crash lands in their front yard near the well. The next morning, hydrologist Ward Phillips, who is surveying the area for a dam development, along with the mayor and the sheriff of a nearby town of Arkham, arrive to see the meteor. Nathan and Lavinia later witness strange phenomena around the meteor until it suddenly disappears. So that's kind of your general outline. We start the movie with Lavinia like performing witchcraft and in a way or in an attempt, excuse me, to cure her mother of cancer, which is obviously a noble cause, but I guess it pays off later that she's into witchcraft. Does it? I don't think so. I mean, there's another scene where she performs like a seance, but... Oh, okay. So I guess it pays off in the sense that it gives us that scene, but not in the sense that it makes anything happen. It doesn't actually pay off, but I I guess I should say it's at least referenced again, where it feels like a lot of shit in this movie is just brought up and then never returned to. Right. No, this this does come back. Because I, much like you, I imagine, Alex, uh, I went into this completely blind, so I didn't know what we were going into i didn't know what the what the setting was like if this was modern times or or the old times and that narration the opening voiceover didn't really do much to clarify and then this woman is doing witchcraft so of course i thought maybe we're heading into lord of the rings kind of thing but then some dude that's dressed in modern clothes shows up and i'm like oh is this a movie about larping so maybe we're getting into some larping action (laughs) I, i would say it was a solid like 15 minutes or so before I could get a good grasp into at least 
what the environment was for this movie. How long did it take you to figure out what was, what was going on? Yeah, it was, it was about 15 or 20 minutes before I really felt comfortable understanding like where this movie was going because there's some twists and turns that kind of throw at you early that truly serve no purpose. <laughs> uh, I think that the moment that when you settle in, or at least this, this was my experience, once I saw Nicolas Cage come out and he's looking kind of old and he's wearing the glasses and he's not being wild Nicolas Cage, he's being toned down Nicolas Cage. I was like, all right, it's that kind of movie. That's what I thought. We're getting boring Cage. This is Nicolas Cage making a movie to prove that he doesn't have to be wild and wacky all the time. And then, of course, joke was on me because eventually yeah. <laughs> he Owned. does go wild and wacky. We mentioned the hydrologist, uh, Ward, who kind of just stumbles in on Lavinia. She's performing this ceremony. And I guess this is supposed to be a meet cute, but it's not really It's a, a meet cute. weird. It's a, it's a meet uncomfortable, and <laughs> spoiler alert, it doesn't lead to like everlasting love in the end. Which is a good thing, right? Because she's a teenager, and this dude, he has a degree on whatever he does. <laughs> so, yeah, teenage daughter, teenage son, and youngest son. So, regardless, they're all young folk. Yeah, I, I didn't really think of that, but good call. I just assumed immediately because I've seen a movie before that these were supposed to be the two characters <laughs> that we want to like fall in love with each other. Oh, this movie has no time for that. <laughs> it is not. It does have time to forecast the immediate future, though, where Teresa, is that her name, played by Jolie Richardson, is having issues with her job because the internet connection. She's in like these Zoom meetings and <laughs> Skype calls and shit, and it's affecting her ability to yeah. work. Does she has Spectrum over there? I was well. I was about to say we should investigate Richard Stanley for potentially having advanced information on COVID because within three months of this movie being released, that's something everyone <laughs> in the world could relate to, or most people, I should say. Yeah, she's she's learning to use Zoom, and uh, Nicolas Cage keeps walking in the background, half naked. <laughs> Damn it! Get out of my shot, Jolie Richardson. What do we know her from? I know her face. 101 Dalmatians, the live action adaptation from back when Disney was not pumping those out every year. The one with Glenn Close. That was 1996. Yeah. How old are we, Alex? Wow. She plays, right. she plays Anita. Like the, it was her and Jeff Daniels. All right. Mm -hmm. Event Horizon. The Patriot. That's what I know her from. <laughs> She's Mel no, Gibson's wife. No matter where you know her from, from now on, you're going to know her as... The woman that merges with her son in Colorado space. Yes. The woman who's clearly never seen the thing before and was able to be talked into like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. <laughs> She's got an extensive filmography, but those are really the only things that uh, I, I would that I have retained. Uh, OK, so here's the thing that happens early that really I have contention with because it really serves no purpose to the movie. And doesn't really add anything. By purpose, I mean it, there's no payoff to it, and because of that, you could they could live in an apartment for all we care. It, the idea is they live on this farm because they are like doomsday folk of you know the end of times is upon us, and that's why they're storing alpaca because, as Nicholas Cage says, it's the animal of the future, and at one point it kind of starts to swing the pendulum to where you think. They're going to be Boy Who Cried Wolf. I guess you can use that as a verb. Uh, 
because <laughs> no one takes them seriously and just thinks they're kooks. You know, Nathan Gardner and his family did not get vaccinated two months after this, or I guess it would have been <laughs> six or seven months later. But no, they they inject themselves with alpaca blood, the alpaca milk, yeah, or the tomatoes. They just you know feed enough of them. <laughs> You'll be all right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this could be a potentially interesting wrinkle to the story, but it really, at the end of when the credits roll, it feels like it serves no purpose. Yeah. I mean, I one of my notes says, this is why you don't live in the boonies, because the the, the story kind of, a lot of it has to do with just like, they live an hour away from the hospital. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a big issue. But I don't think that that's news. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that... People that live in the boonies already know that. Yeah. We get a family stone ripoff where Nicolas Cage and Jolie Richardson are going to have sex for the first time in a while following Six her months, Alex. Six months. Uh, can you relate to the to the Cage craziness when you think about, I don't know, the last time you that you went through a dry spell that went for six months or longer? Absolutely. I, I understand his... Uh, his, his carnal desires and needs. Uh, but it, it is like, I was like, that's Craig T. Nelson and fucking, um, Diane Keaton. I, Diane Keaton. Thank you. Throw, throwing the buoy out for my joke there. Um, <laughs> the difference being it's not Christmas tunes and snow falling. <laughs> it's, it's a giant, like magenta meteor that hits the ground. And your favorite thing, Julio, the precocious little kid who kind of forecasted it and connected with it just kind of goes and stands in the hallway and waits for it to hit. What's this little kid's name? Jack, played by Julian Hillard. I spent about 20 minutes trying to figure out who this kid was. And Mm -hmm. then I finally gave up and I looked it up. And he's one of the Maxiboff twins in the MCU. He's uh, the Scarlet Witch's imaginary son. This doesn't mean anything to you because you you already already jumped ship by then. But (laughs) it's not a good thing, Alex. Jump ship on this conversation right now. I wasn't a big fan of him in One Division, and uh, I was not a big fan of him here. I don't know which one came first. I want to say this one probably came a little came first. Yeah, they they saw him. They're like, you know, you're you're pretty good at looking vacantly at the camera. We can use you in the MCU. <laughs> All right, so this comet hits. It's a really pretty color. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, like what, like what a, is what is the color out of space, Alex? Yeah, it's is like it magenta, pink, purple, magenta, F- fuchsia. fuchsia? <laughs> okay, fuchsia. Yeah. It has to be fuchsia because we said it at the same time. Yes, I, I am fine with that because that's also like the co- the color of the flowers that sprout up and everything. But it, it affects everyone differently. It obviously has a cosmic power. What is it? Nicholas Cage thinks it smells awful. The one kid can hear it. The other one, it makes him disoriented. You've seen this movie before, Julio. Everyone has. Multiple (laughs) times. Many times. times. (laughs) Yeah. And the way it's like originally shot when it comes, it's the fucking blob. And, you know, I can appreciate the idea of homages and paying tribute to works of the past in your genre. But this movie is just like a band doing an album of all cover it's garage ink it's just all cover songs but really loud <laughs> they just garage turned the ink, amp to yes. 11 
Okay, so here it kind of develops more that we see they're running a compound. Uh, Nathan is at least, you know, and he's training his family for the end of days. For what? Like this happens and it proves that they are just, they were never equipped for the end of time. They were never going to make it when the apocalypse came anyway. So why do we need to know all this? Again, they could just be living in a high rise somewhere. The like, more you be- recap, the more you recap this movie, the more it sounds like Richard Stanley had something to say about COVID before COVID happened. You got to be prepared. I guess that's the thing of like, even though you think you are suddenly a astro, a meteorite, excuse me, can fall in your lap and you don't know what to do. You got to go, uh, you got to go milk the alpacas, which is my new, uh, favorite euphemism for masturbation. That's a good one. I'm going to go milk the alpaca. I mean, six months, man. <laughs> Michael Cage milked that alpaca hard. You could test the theory with your. Loved one at home, have them milk the alpaca and see if if you uh, add some fennel to your diet, if it helps with the consistency and flavor. That's what Nicolas Cage says. Yes. You gotta trust the cage. Uh, but yeah, Tommy Chong shows up playing Tommy Chong. What's your relationship with Tommy Chong? That's how it is show. I'm Oof. old, Alex, but I'm not that old that I'm actually contemporary with the Cheech and Chong movies. Have you never seen one just by like accident? You know me well enough to, I think, make that call and go like, yeah, this is not definitely, <laughs> this is definitely not the kind of movie that Julio would enjoy. Well, I just mean like even, I, I'm surprised you've never been at a party or something when one's been on in the background. No. Regardless though, Tommy Chong is a very unique actor and I mean that in a good way, has a unique look, unique um, voice and unique cadence and delivery. And here, what, he has two scenes? Technically uh, three, three, because that's him, right? At the end, just with a yeah, lot. Yeah, but of he doesn't make up. Doesn't say anything. Well, it could be also like a statue of Tommy Chong at the end. <laughs> Richard Stanley just had a, a standee from one of the Cheech and Chongs, <laughs> and is like, "All right, we got to cut costs here." <laughs> They're talking about some bat flu coming over. We got to get this shit out quick. <laughs> I think it's an interesting idea here that. He's a squatter and is more intelligent than people take him for, but also kind of a, a nut bar. But really, the way it's played is it's just Tommy Chong, man. He's a stoner. You know, he, yep. he paints flowers on his face and says kooky things, and no one takes him seriously because of that. That's how, you, before you even see it's Tommy Chong, you're told that he smokes weed. <laughs> it's just they can't resist the temptation, man. Right, so so is it is it a chainsaw moment? Like you you knew you you hear about the squatter, you hear that the squatter smokes weed, and then when Tommy Chong shows up as the squatter, you just point at the screen. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess so. I I, I would have been curious to see this movie in a full theater to see like how many people laughed or you know nudged their friend. Hey, Tommy Chong. <laughs> What's his name in that seventy show? Is it Leo? Yes. Yeah, it Leo. is Leo. Well, he. He's doing the same thing here that he did in that same show, so it could be the same character in a way. Uh, could <laughs> just be an Leo. extension. Yeah, falling on hard times, adopted a cat, and just shacked up with Nicolas Cage's family. Weird happenings continue, you know, with crops and uh, bugs and the, the grass and TVs going in and out, headaches. It's just kind of like they can't... And Nicolas Cage is still in denial mode that, you know, nothing... Everything's fine. We're going to stay here and ride it out. 
This is like the first half of the movie. It's mm-hmm. just weird things happen. That's it, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a purple bug, a fuchsia bug. Uh, the, the little kid whistles, and the the well that they get water from whistles back. Tommy Chong is making coffee with really nasty water. Was that when he offers uh, what's his name Ward a drink? Is he offering him really dirty water, or is he offering coffee made with dirty water? He said Java, so I assumed he meant coffee. But then, but then Ward acts like, "Oh, this water is contaminated." So I got confused by it. Yeah, and then I, you know he eventually studies it, and he's like, "The water is contaminated. Don't drink it. <laughs> Don't worry about the meteor, but the water—that's the problem. That's the issue you got there." I mean, there is overall an underreaction from the community as, as it is in this movie to the the fact that a meteor fell from outer space, even though, even if you consider that by the time that the mayor and the sheriff and everybody and the media like show up, they they don't really make as much of a big deal as I think that anybody would. Because they laugh them off. Right. They, but- they're like, oh, were you inebriated at the time? Which is not a question <laughs> that a fucking broadcast journalist, I, I don't think in that context would ask. And it's just like, oh, this crazy, what do they call him, a UFO sighter or something? And mm-hmm. it's, and he's watching at home. He's like, oh, I look like an idiot, and his hair's all unkempt. So was this supposed to be funny? Was this played for laughs? Or is this, I guess, is this a commentary on, you know, who you should believe and who you shouldn't? Or maybe you should heed someone's words? Yeah, I Richard, just, Richard Stanley wants us to take the tabloids seriously. The National Enquirer is the gospel. Bad wing is real. Bad kid. <laughs> Not bad wing. <laughs> Bad kid, yeah. Bad kid is real. Elvis and Andy Kaufman are still alive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I just couldn't figure out. And, and you know, as a horror fan and a fan of just dumb comedies, I am fine if I watch a movie and someone's like, "What? What did that movie say?" And my retort can be, "Well, it didn't need to say anything. It was fucking Dumb and Dumber or Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Uh, in this case, this movie so clearly wants to be taken seriously and act like it has a message that by this point, and we're getting close to halfway through, just like, what the what the fuck is this? And then anything that could potentially teed up or set on the table in the first half is just covered in kerosene and set on fire by the second half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, this next scene is where things start to go downhill in the sense of just descending into chaos. Whilst making dinner for the family, Jolie Richardson, Teresa, this movie, I guess becomes hypnotized by the color, the the, <laughs> the force fuchsia. from the fuchsia from outer space. It's basically a happening moment. She's just chopping carrots and then chops two of her fingers off. And it's kind of a cool shot. She turns around the family. She's like, dinner's ready. And she's missing two fingers and blood's rushing down her hand. But it would be. I, I think it would be more compelling if she chops her fingers off and then she screams like most people would. Like she can be distracted or like, you know, zoned out. But when she sh- chops her fingers off, then that like snap back to reality. Right. It, it, you have that shot where like she she's kind of like in shock and then she lifts her hand, missing her two fingers up to her face. Like it, the hand comes into the shot and then she screams ah, and then cut <laughs> to the next scene. It's also, if you're trying to tell me that this is because of the meteor or the fuchsia or whatever, then don't have the kid sneak up behind her and poke her and go like, hey, mom, 
Because yeah. then it just makes it look like it's a kid's fault. We'll call you from the hospital. Benny, you're man of the house. And I want those alpacas back in the barn by 10 o'clock. You got it, Dad. 10 o'clock! Well, also, to skip ahead to the ending, this part right here just kills the idea of the ending where the Liviana, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the, the Wiccan daughter. When she says, you can't escape this, we can't leave it. Nicholas Cage and Jolie Richardson went to the hospital. They were just dumb and came back. Yes, you can. Just get in a car and drive. Fucking leave. I guess H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and Richard Stanley would tell you, like, no, they felt compelled to come back. There really was no way out. They were drawn back to the shimmer. What is that Natalie Portman movie we did? What is that called? Annihilation. That's Doesn't another it look one. so much better now? Yes. It got a list of a Absolutely. <laughs> Little kid continues to be weird and talk to the well. There's like these CG bugs that come up that are magenta and fuchsia and really pretty looking. Aside from the fact they're CG. <laughs> Should have just spray painted some real praying mantises, man. It's the easiest <laughs> the way name to do it. the most practical way to do it. Uh, Richard Stanley shows that he's aware that at this point we don't care about anybody in this family. So he puts the dog in danger. I'm assuming you're you're a dog person too, Alex. So you yes. you probably sat closer to the screen. You're like, please don't tell me we're going to see something nasty happen to the dog. And I guess we are spared. Like that's the one moment where the filmmaker shows restraint and the dog just disappears. We never see him again. Yeah, I I, I think it's implied he's part of the wreckage they find at one point. But yeah, I, I knew that was coming. This movie's not original enough to find a way around that right the dog should have been the last the last living creature surviving the the cataclysm at the end but now it's a fuchsia dog yeah when ward survives the big bang at the end the sam the dog should have come running up to him and it's like well it's just you and me now pup (laughs) as we mentioned the water's really fucked up so ward's trying to warn them they can't be drinking the water there and you know he needs to go report it to the Authority that's going to be taking over the land to build a dam there. Tommy Chong back in his Jason Voorhees shack is listening to the ground <laughs> and is on to something. You know, he, he he kind of gets what's happening, but he's not to be taken seriously. He's old. He looks like he smells bad and he's, his face is painted like he's at Woodstock. Like he painted his face for Woodstock in 1969 and never washed his face. Uh, his cat is missing. G-Spot. G-Spot. That that joke deserves to be in a better movie. The cat goes missing, and then yeah, gets like turned inside out by the the shimmer, the radiation, the the color from outer space, and of course it's a CG cat that they make. I think that the, the thing that grossed me out more than any of these uh, supernatural happenings was that we cut to the next morning, and uh, the girl, the witch girl, decides that she's got to do the dishes. So they haven't washed the dishes since Jolie Richardson chopped off her fingers. So she grabs a knife and probably still has chunks of uh, her mom's fingers there. She just left that, like, sitting there. Like, the carrots are there that she was cutting and the knife and all the other stuff. I guess it was uh, it was Nicholas Cage's turn to do the dishes. She was like, fuck there this. You, there you go. He's on his way out the door. Someone do the dishes. <laughs> But she's becoming possessed by the the force. I don't even know what we call it. The color. All right. So in the Wikipedia summation, it's constantly referred to as the color and colors capitalized. Uh, She clearly was assigned Lords of Salem 
to watch for preparation for the role because she's channeling. Have you seen that movie? I can never remember. Oh, yeah. We talked about oh, yeah. it on the show. Oh, yeah. We like it. Or, uh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I like it. You. You have grown to like it. When we talked about it on the show, we both made fun of it. And then suddenly, a few years later, you're like, you know what? I actually think it's good. Yeah, it is good. It's <laughs> it's Elizabeth Town itself. Uh, <laughs> it's the Jim Cornette. I used to know. I used to think you were a dumb fuck, but I've met so many dumb fucks since then that you've just moved up by you know failed upwards. I used to think you were a bad Rob Zombie movie, but I've seen so many bad Rob Zombie movies since then. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen bad Rob Zombie movies. That's probably it. You know, after three from hell, anything looks good. <laughs> uh, but she does like her kind of motioning and I'm acting it out right now as I'm recording that thing where she like is just kind of slowly rocking forward, almost like some people do in prayer and the colors taking over her and she can't stop it. She can't control what's in her mind. She's getting sick, et cetera, et cetera. The dog goes out of hero. <laughs> Nicholas Cage at this point in the movie starts becoming Nicholas Cage. Yep. He begins speaking differently. Like sometimes he'll speak with like kind of almost like an accent. Mm-hmm. And you know, he gets stuff on him so he gets to go ah ah and then he's like what's that smell? It smells like a cancer ward in here and what else? He freaks out when the car won't start. He starts developing grayscale. Yes. Yeah. He drinks his whiskey and when he he uses some whiskey, dips his fingers in it, and he rubs it on the the grayscale that he's got going on, the the lizard skin that he's developing. And I thought that was going to be like a Prometheus moment where he gets the glass and then drinks it and it you know starts eating him alive from the inside. Sadly, it was not to be. <laughs> no. No, uh, no cesarean, no C-section scene for Nicolas Cage in this movie. I just started listing movies. <laughs> Poltergeist, The Thing, oh, yeah, The, the Ruins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Ruins and the, the... I don't think The Ruins invented that. The Thing did that too. Of um, the color starts mimicking sounds that mm-hmm. humans or animals make. Yeah. Eventually, what's the oldest child's name? Tommy? Benny. Benny, Benny. Benny. Nothing cool happens. He just gets in the well and it just... <laughs> just vaporizes him. <laughs> But this is, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. This is after uh, the oh, color yeah, yeah. yeah, gets Teresa and Jack. Well, first it gets the alpacas. It there's, does. There's and an it, escalation. It, it turns them into the monster from the thing. They're like, they all kind of like morph together. And again, this is, if you've never seen a movie, this is probably cool. Uh, and I hate to be that guy. It's just, it's a genre I've seen a lot of shit from. Uh, for the course of like my entire being. And so I immediately was just rattling off in my head. I was like, okay, this is from this. This is from this. This is from this. And if you want to make a gumbo, that's cool, but call it the gumbo. <laughs> Don't call it the yeah. soup from outer space. Do like, he basically should have just made like a, um, a documentary about the, <laughs> Lovecraftian horror genre with talking heads interspersed between these scenes and explain, you know, and just kind of had uh, loose bylines that tie them all together. You don't even need the dialogue or anything. And just people talk about, oh, and then there's the, you know, the way that the uh, 
the outside force controls the mind and then it just shows what's her name madeline arthur you know having a hard time and disoriented and not knowing what to do it's just you've seen it a million times i'm telling you 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 listening to this right now and you're saying to yourself i've never seen color out of space i'm telling you you've seen it you absolutely (laughs) have seen this movie maybe it was a different color it wasn't fuchsia (laughs) it was green maybe uh but yes the alpacas form mecha alpaca mecha paca and <laughs> look nasty as hell and nicholas cage comes in and shoots him why they were not doing anything to anybody he shoots him after because they're discovered originally by benny and jack and they go to run to get out of there because obviously some some bad's going down and jack is grabbed by his mother Teresa, and the color gets them and in easily the most like shocking thing in the whole movie of like, well, I didn't see that coming. It fuses them together and turns them into like this monster. Did you see that coming, Julio? Did you expect something that crazy to happen with what this movie had set up so far? No, I, I honestly I thought they were dead. Be, and my my note says finally some casualties. Because by now we're I, yeah, I thought they got fried. <laughs> right, it was like it's been past an hour into the movie, and all we've gotten is like this weird shit, but nothing really. There's no consequences, and so finally we we see somebody get it. Except they didn't get it. It, it was worse because yeah, they, they're fused, and yeah, I didn't see it coming. But I also, I think this is the this is where the movie peaks, because for about five to ten minutes, there's actual stakes, right? Like holy shit, Nicolas Cage is gonna have to like old yeller his wife but it doesn't happen (laughs) the movie doesn't have the balls to go all the way there right like she's she's fused to to her kid and uh they're in in pain i don't know what to do and then nicholas cage goes and kills the alpacas and then he comes back he's covered in blood and he's like okay now i'm gonna take care of your mom and the kids you know the, the two other kids get out of the room and you think this is gonna be it and he has kind of like a an emotional one-sided conversation with her and then he doesn't do it starts kissing her and all this goose flying yeah so that's that's where i uh i completely lost faith in the movie up till then i, I had hoped that maybe all this build up all this uh meandering was going to lead to something really powerful and but no they just let it slip there what are you gonna do handle it Like you handled the alpacas. This is where Benny gets sucked into the well. That's what we referenced. And Cage, at this point, snaps. We already mentioned he's unleashed, but he now has completely gone, what, Stockholm Syndrome? Because he starts abusing his daughter and throwing her into the... (laughs) It's fucking (laughs) Black Christmas. He (laughs) throws her into the attic and is like, get in there. (laughs) <laughs> feed your mother and she's locked in there with this now like tentacled alien that still has the face of Jolie Richardson meanwhile the movie reminds us of the ward character as he meets up with the sheriff and they say they found all the shelf property and it's just mutilated body parts and they believe different types of animals and he comments it looks like they've been burned it looks like radiation burns and there's the long tense silence like wow Got to get back to the old gardener place. Like radiation. Wait, wait. What What has happened recently that could maybe emit poisonous, deadly radiation? 
didn't we have a meteor fall to the farm, to Nicolas Cage's farm? I can't believe it took them that long. Like, that thing, they should have been swarmed with uh, people dressed in hazmat suits as soon as that meteor fell, as soon as Nicolas Cage called the authorities. I can't believe that they didn't quarantine his farm. Or at least just, like, stop going outside until you figure out what's going on. <laughs> you got all your wine. You got you know, but you just got to get out there and pick your tomatoes. <laughs> so the sheriff and ward get to the property, and they drive. It's actually a pretty cool shot. They drive through the fog, uh, and they see a horse... Lavinia's horse taking off the opposite way as Dave Attell had a great bit about, you know, not just if you see someone running the other way, because that's, you know, all disaster movies, but talked about if you were ever or anywhere and you see a man with no pants on running, you run with that man because there is some scary shit coming the other way. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of here. The horse is just, you know, taken off and scared. So they, they hit the lights, they get up to the property, they, approach the sheriff has a gun ward just kind of looks like an idiot he's i think he has a flashlight at one point but that's the extent of it nicholas cage has clearly lost it he's telling him we're all in here the family's in here when they're not they hear a scream they go up they enter the attic and they are terrified at the discovery of uh the monster that Teresa and jack have formed which is about to i guess it's taking its sweet ass time, but the implication is it's about to eat or kill Lavinia. And the sheriff, despite having a shotgun, is just kind of paralyzed with fear. And we just see the head of Teresa get blown up and then smash cut to the, the opposite side. And Nicholas Cage stands there with the smoking gun. And then to make things even just more morbid than necessary, <laughs> he shoots the little kid's face too, as it says, Daddy. But by now, it's like they missed the window. Yeah, my note my note here says, what the fuck is this? Uh, that's my note. <laughs> well, my note is like, what was the point of him not shooting her when it would have had an emotional punch, right? It's like, it's one thing if he hasn't gone completely crazy and he still has his wits about him and he, he forces himself to shoot her because she's in pain. That's one thing. If you have him shoot her now when he's completely gone off the reservation and and she is about to kill his daughter, then it doesn't really well, what else was he gonna do? It doesn't really have any emotional resonance. So I don't I don't get it. I don't know why they had to other than oh boy, it looks more badass if he does it this way. Um they should have had either the sh- no, they should have had Ward be the guy that shoots her. Because yeah. that's where he knows he's completely blowing his chances with uh, Lavinia. Like, you can't really date the guy that shoots your mom. Like, like the sheriff gets so freaked out that he doesn't know what to do, so Ward just grabs the gun and shoots Teresa. I think that would be a good way out. Right. And then Cage just screams and turns purple. <laughs> no! The color! The color! <laughs> okay, so what happens here next? They Ward and the sheriff question. go... <laughs> Ward and the sheriff go looking for Tommy Chong, right? Uh, well, they kill Cage. The The sheriff shoots Cage. And Cage dies in the arms of his daughter. Because he thinks he, he tries to shoot the color <laughs> yes. and the sheriff thinks he's pointing the gun at Ward. So, yes, that's right. Shoots him. Yeah. So they take off looking for Tommy Chong at this point. I, I paused the movie and there were still like 15 minutes left. I'm like, why are there 15 minutes left after Nicolas Cage is dead? It's a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> I paused it an hour 20 and I was like, why is there a half hour left? Why? <laughs> but then I would have told you, well, Cage is still alive. But if Cage is dead... What I don't care about anybody else. That's fair. 
And then they find Tommy Chong, and it just takes forever to find that he's, I guess his life force has been zapped, and then he's about to, like, explode. What is it? (laughs) At Ezra's house, the pair only find his desiccated corpse and a recording he left behind, where he summarizes that the color is attempting to remake Earth into something akin to wherever it came from. How does he know this, Alex? And then he blows up. Did he read the Lovecraft short story? That's how he knows what's happening? Well, dude, when I was watching this, I thought they were doing some shit like he did it. He was some crazy fuck that discovered this and he you know, unleashed the color. this. He, well, not the color, but he he figured out the color and unleashed it into the world. But nah, it's just he's a crazy hippie who, you know, he's wise beyond his years. Is this the first time you've seen Tommy Chan die on camera? <laughs> Probably. Oh, except for that episode of that 70s show where he was gunned down in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now the, the the from here until the the end of the movie is just like they looked at the budget and they're like all right how much money do we have left all right cool everybody's been paid yes all right just throw it all to digital effects go wild have a blast all right everyone in the truck we're going back to the studio we're hanging up a green curtain and just we're, we're forming the rest <laughs> of it there so pile in <laughs> Uh, a mutilated tree kills the sheriff. It's He's walking, and he just gets scooped up. Evil Dead. No, not unlike, well, The Mist also is one that came to mind, but Evil Dead is good as well. Uh, War of the Worlds. <laughs> Wade returns to rescue Lavinia, but finds her fully possessed by the color, which explodes out of the well and forms a funnel into the sky. Ward is shown a vision of where the color hails from a psychedelic exoplanet inhabited by tentacle alien entities <laughs> before Lavinia disintegrates. As space and time begin to unravel, Ward enters the farmhouse and is pursued by a murderous apparition of Nathan. He hides in the wine cellar as the color's distortion of reality destroys the property, leaving Ward the only survivor as he climbs out of the remains of the farmland, now a colorless, ashy, blasted heath. It's like a series of screensavers at this point. <laughs> it's the shit you would watch uh, like with a Windows Media Player uh-huh. on like 98 and 2000 Windows. Just over and over. Richard Stanley was looking at his lava lamp. I'm like, there's something <laughs> to this. Apparition is a good word, though. <laughs> In the epilogue... A traumatized ward stands on top of the finished dam which covered the former property and narrates that having witnessed the color's effects, he will never drink the dam's water. And he does say, we'll never know it was a color out of space. (laughs) He does say the teacher line, but then they drop the ball one more time by not having Dave Matthews band's Don't Drink the Water be the song that takes us into the end credits. Don't drink the water. Don't drink the It'd be even funnier if they had that like softball just kind of underhand thrown at them. And it was kind of, oh, like you throw to your little nephew. And then they play Crash Into Me. (laughs) Nicholas Cage, Jolie Richardson, and the three kids come out on stage, take a bow. They point at Richard Stanley. Yeah, Richard Stanley comes out and takes his hat off and you know everyone stands up and claps. (laughs) He he pulls the the Lovecraft short story from his inside pocket and just kind of like waves it at the audience. 
Like, no, this guy, this guy did it. The Michael Scott pointing at the audience, you, you. <laughs> you are the real colors. So uh, that was Color Out of Space, Alex. An hour and 50 minutes, well spent, yep. some would say. He beat me to it. I coughed, and I was going to say, so Julio, that was Color Out of Space. Uh, yeah, that way too long. Uh, I, we didn't cover this yet. I assume Shutter is how you watched it. No, I don't have Shutter. I should have if I'd been more awake when I made this decision. Uh, I would have just signed up to Shutter for a month and watched Color Out of Space there. And but instead, I bought it on YouTube. <laughs> so now I own it. God bless. I didn't want to rent it because. Uh, I knew I was going to have to take clips out of it, and I didn't know how big of a movie it was. And sometimes finding clips on YouTube it is a pain in the ass. I was like, I'm just going to buy it. I didn't want to buy it on Amazon Prime because then that means it's going to show up there when my wife is looking through our movies. And I didn't want her to like be like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, I'll do it on, the, on, on YouTube. And then I'm like, yeah, I should have just subscribed to <laughs> Shutter. <laughs> Would have had the movie for a month. <laughs> Plenty of time to pull clips and edit it. But anyway, I mean... Next next party at my house, do you know what's going to be playing in the background? It is a good background party movie because people will be like, what the fuck is this? Or is that the thing? Look at the color, man. The color. <laughs> next time you don't know which horror movie you want to watch, you just play it and you're watching all of them at once. <laughs> Someone just comes up. Julio, what's this uh, Lovecraftian montage you have going on here? <laughs> this is very fascinating. I've seen all these movies before. <laughs> It's an 86% tomato meter sizzle reel. You're welcome. All right. Are you ready for real talk, Alex? Let's get into the well and discuss this movie. <laughs> oh, when you come crash into me and I come into you. 